Hello, and welcome to the House of Music podcast called The Bridge. We're talking to parents and teachers about how music came into their lives and how they have passed it on to their kids or students. Our guest today is Adam Levy. Adam is a dad, a singer-songwriter, and a teacher who's been making music in the Twin Cities most of his life. Probably best known in and out of Minnesota for his band, The Honey Dogs. His most recent band, Turn, 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 has a great debut record called Can't Go Back. In our conversation, Adam tells us how he discovered music growing up, started playing guitar, and how he later studied cultural anthropology in college while honing his guitar skills on the side. We also talk about how he became a father, which eventually led him to teaching music classes, where his latest class has him teaching songwriting to incarcerated men in prison to the Minnesota Prison Writers Workshop. Hi, Adam. Welcome, and thanks for being our first guest. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Let's start with where you grew up. Did you grow up here in the Twin Cities? Yeah. Um, my dad, I was born in Bloomington, Indiana. My dad was uh, a political science graduate student looking for a teaching gig. And so we sort of moved around Bloomington, Indiana first, and then Lexington, Kentucky. And then uh, he landed a gig assistant professorship in uh, up in Moorhead at University of, what was it, Moorhead College, Moorhead State College or something like that. Yeah. So I was there for a few years in Moorhead. Uh, and then we moved to St. Paul when I was about six. So I don't know, most of my life I'm, I'm back in St. Paul again. So I seem to keep coming back to St. Paul. How big was your family? How many siblings? And Three siblings. So Noah, my youngest brother, middle brother, Joshua and me. I know Noah. Is, was everyone into music? Everyone play music or what was everyone that like? Everyone into music and um, our brother Joshua has Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. So a lot of his life was spent in institutional or foster care, dealing with um, sort of his developmental issues. Mm -hmm. But he's always been into music. And uh, I would say as much as ever, we just did a, a little video with him. Hopefully we'll be able to release it singing Uptown Funk. So bass <laughs> and Noah's playing drums and I'm playing guitar and my daughter Ava is singing and, and Joshua is just kind of belting out the song as best he can. <laughs> Pretty fun. That's so, yeah, great. We're all, we're all into music. What about your parents? Were they musical growing up? Did they play an instrument? You know, my mom played cello, but I don't think she was ever like really, really into it, but she loved music. My dad loved music. Uh, my dad had a really big collection of jazz and classical music, which I got uh, a number of years ago. And, but that record collection was not in our house. It was at his grand, he left it at his parents' house for years and years. And it was just sort of like in storage. Um, oh. We did have a few really great records in our house growing up. And my mom did too, you know, it wasn't a big collection, but you know, I can think of things that got played a lot. We had Herp Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, um, Tijuana Taxi, 
and hmm. uh, Charlie Parker's the yellow record, the Charlie Parker yellow record. Uh, what else did we have? It was an Ike and Tina Turner record, Rubber Soul. Really? The game changer for me as a kid. Wow. And that and your parents played that. Yeah. Or you just my aunt brought it to my parents living in Moorhead, Minnesota in like 1967. So it was a couple of years after it came out, but um, I can remember hearing it. I can remember it playing when we would have neighborhood guests over for dinner. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Great. What was the um, first time you remember actually seeing someone play? Not like the Beatles on TV or something like that, but someone like a family member or someone in your community that you're like, wow, that's someone right there in front of me making music. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember when I was really impressed with, with, uh, kind of like wanting to be in a rock band or seeing that it was something I could actually do because somebody like me was doing it. It wasn't right. just right. books or film. Um, I, I recall a guy in my neighborhood who was a guitar player who had learned like Purple Haze and like Doobie Brothers songs. And I was just impressed like how easy it seemed to be to play this stuff. And I thought, well, I could probably learn to do that at some point when I was about 12, I think. Yeah. Uh, I also remember distinctly being at Grand Old Days as a kid and seeing a band set up in, in, in front of a paint store there uh, playing just sort of like the top rock stuff. They were playing like bread uh, songs and also Zeppelin and Leonard Skinner and like, whoa. I want to do this. I want to wear sunglasses and not have a shirt on. <laughs> Turn my amp up really loud. That sounds really fun. And this was before you had started playing music? Yeah. or yeah. That would have been like nine, uh, probably about 1977, early 78. And then when did you take the leap and, and how did that come about that you actually started playing something? Pretty quickly after that. Um, I had a friend bring over a bunch of Beatles records. His father had died. And one of the only things that his dad left him was just this enormous 60s record collection. Lots yeah. of Dylan and Beatles and Beach Boys and things. And uh, we listened to that. I, I mean, it was like a sort of game changing moment for me listening to those records. And he also had this Roy Carr illustrated record of the Beatles, which was this amazing picture book of the Beatles. It had all of the discography and sort of descriptions of what the songs were about and what they looked like through all the periods. And so here is this, I'm this, you know, 12 year old kid. My mind is completely blown by this one band that created all of these different musical and cultural identities uh, and just, this vast body of work, it was, it, I pretty much, I could say like, that is the moment where I really knew I wanted to play music. Yeah. And so what did you do? Did you ask your parents to get a guitar or did you? Yeah. I mean, I was really, you know, begging and pleading for a guitar and they got me just, neither one of them really knew what, what that meant, like going and finding a good guitar. So they got me at this bowed neck acoustic guitar that I could not <laughs> fret. And, you know, the, the, I had a blind guitar teacher at first and he just kept really? 
force me to like, you know, just press harder on it, press hard on it. But the neck was just so ridiculously bowed. I couldn't even, I couldn't make a G chord or a C chord on it. I just remember weeks and weeks of going to lessons and I'm just like, this is a C chord. You just have to press harder. <laughs> um, and, but I finally got an electric guitar. Let's see when that would have been. It was in seventh grade going into eighth grade. I got my first electric guitar, but, but I really like, it took me a little while to kind of get the hang of it and really start playing it. It was mostly just sort of like stringing it on and looking at myself playing, playing it like, wow, you got a guitar. And then we would just plug into like my little Univox amp and just turn it up full volume. And then we would make these weird like recordings with vacuum cleaners because we couldn't play guitar. So we would just bang in the guitar full volume noise and these weird experimental recordings because we couldn't play. <laughs> and you say we, this was your friend or this was? Yeah. This would have been the guy that brought those Beatles record over. His name was Carrie. Um, but I had a sort of circulating bunch of friends who were all, you know, into music. And I would say in like later eighth grade, I, I first, I just started, like I could figure out brown sugar and sympathy for the devil. And I was really into the stones Right in that first year I was learning to play guitar. And shortly after that, I got into the who and Hendrix and, and then I could then by like, you know, ninth grade, I could really figure more intricate stuff out and I, I i at that time i became pretty good you know comparatively to a lot of other kids in that era that first teacher you had did that teacher have an agenda for how you should learn or did they teach you these rock songs or did you no. have to figure these out yourself yeah i mean unfortunately my first two teaching experiences were not really great um and and i think Part of that thing about becoming uh, a musician post 1980, I think, is that people have kind of encouraged kids to just learn, you know, whatever you're into. But yeah. at that point, it was a more of like, you know, you need to learn all these rudiments. You got to learn like these stupid guitar etudes and, you know, just learn to read music. Right. And so I just, I didn't, there was a disconnect between that stuff I was learning and what I was listening to. Right. And it wasn't really explained to me, like, you know, in order to become a really great improvisational player, you need to write, read music, you know, it's going to help you. Right. It was just like, this is the way you do this shit. Oh, excuse my language. This <laughs> is the way you do this. You learn, um, you learn the basics, you learn the fundamentals. It's, it's just a very classic understanding right. of, of music education. And so I was just always trying to find, and I finally found teachers who would teach me what I wanted. Like, Hey, I want to learn the guitar solo at the beginning of uh, soul sacrifice Santana at Woodstock. Like that is wicked to me. I want to learn what right. he's doing. And I kind of understood like, it's not totally blues. There's some weird modal stuff going on. Right. And so I had some really good teachers that would help me learn the things I wanted to learn. And then, you know, as time has gone on, I've become more interested in theory and, and, and more stuff like that. But at that point it wasn't explained to me really well about why it's important to get the building blocks right. i just wanted to play music i wanted to play what i liked listening to and so yeah. that's how i learned i was always like opting for like the easiest chord voicings early on so i had a friend that showed me the power chords you know like i was having trouble with bar chords he's like dude you just need those two notes on each chord 
<laughs> and all of these stone songs I could figure out with just those little, you know, two note, two note chords. Right. So what about your siblings? Did um, like did Noah start playing music the same time or later on or? Yeah, Noah was. I mean, it was infectious. I was listening to music constantly, and Noah, I would say, got better than me on drums more quickly than it took me to learn how to play guitar. Right? Yeah. Noah just picked up things so quickly, and it was literally him beating on pots and pans <laughs> and his bed and trying to simulate sounds, you know, of what drums sounded like. Right. And then he got a set of bongos and. And then he got his first drum kit and um, a friend of mine, I was in a band in, you know, like 1982 and this friend lent Noah a hi-hat, a snare and a bass drum. And he stood up and played it and learned how to play the Stray Cat stuff. And, you know, <laughs> I, it's so ironic to me that that's what he was to play. And that's what he inspired by that guy to be in that band some you know, 35 fast, years later. Right. Fast forward and now... Where is yeah, we were just, Noah and I were jamming constantly. There's a huge age spread though. You know, like I'm eight years older than Noah. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. So it was, uh, and partly because our brother Joshua, the middle brother wasn't there, Noah and I formed a really tight bond. Yeah. And I think closer than we would have been if Joshua had been in the house full time. Yeah. Um, but we were just, you know, everything I was listening to, Noah was listening to and you know, wanting to kind of hang out with the big boys and yeah. uh, and play along. And, and so, yeah, we were just constantly listening to music and kind of learning new stuff. There's that thing as you're a teenager, your little siblings aren't quite as cool, but, you know, Noah held his own. And um, I think he, he really had to grow up quickly in a lot of ways because I was the closest sibling to him, you know? Yeah. How about your parents? Were they wanting you to take more of a classical approach to learning an instrument or were they cool with you learning to play rock and roll on guitar? I think they just embraced the fact that we were creative. I, I always felt that my parents were really good at encouraging us, whatever it was. I was into theater stuff and, and I was into visual arts. I was a reasonably good uh, visual artist as a kid and you know, they would give me classes and just sort of encourage those skills. And so when music came along, um, my dad liked jazz and classical more than rock, but he also liked, you know, my dad was smoking pot as a college professor with his students and listening to Fleetwood Mac and things like that. Right. You know, so he was pretty uh, open-minded then. Yeah, he was pretty open-minded. And he might not have listened to all the things that I like to listen to, Hendrix and the Stones and so forth. But uh, I think he marveled as I was learning how to do it and as I started writing music and as he saw me playing on a stage, I think it was, he, he thought it was really awesome. Yeah, that's great. Mom too, mom too, for sure. What about as you came out of high school? Did you want to be in rock bands? Did you want to go to school for music? What did you have in mind after that? I went right into college and um, had a pretty miserable first year. Um, I was playing in bands like in the entry and stuff in that era. Um, but I just didn't understand 
what was involved in terms of, you know, making records and touring and all of that kind of thing. So mm. I sort of just spent time playing guitar while I was in college and just thinking like, I'll get to be a really decent guitar player. And yeah. so in college, um, I immersed myself in cultural anthropology and got really interested in meaning and how people create meaning across cultures. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing that and studying lots of different theories about human culture, I realized I was still really interested in music. And I got really, uh, my last year I did a thesis on soul music in the 1960s and the relationship between politics and um, kind of African retention of rhythmic tropes and things like that in the music. And so I really got into the scholarship around ethnomusicology and was thinking like, that's what I'm gonna do. Right. By the end of my college experience though, I realized like, no, I wanna play music. I don't just wanna talk about it. I don't just wanna read and write about it. Even though I'm still fascinated by how music and culture interact and history, you know, like how all of this stuff happens, that's still really fascinating, but I just wanna be a really great guitarist. So getting out of college, I just woodshedded. And I, in college, I was listening to a lot of roots Americana music. So lots of old rag blues guitar and jazz and lots of country, yeah. uh, country picking. Um, and so I was just thinking like, I'm gonna become a really good American guitar player. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing shows and VFWs with country bands and blues bands. So that's what I did. I just, after college, just started gigging, just learning how to gig. I showed up at the blues saloon every Monday to jam with people and made connections and met some of my oldest friends there, Nate Dungan and Dan yeah. Neal and Joe Savage, who are still really dear friends. Right. Just was around this community of guys that were really interested in the history of country music and blues and and learning how to do it. Right. So I spent a couple of years doing that. Um, but I, in the back of my head, I was also like a really big Elvis Costello fan and um, and just thought, is there a way for me to take this older American music and mix it with things I really love, like The Clash and Right. Uh, the Beatles and you know because all of these people sort of innovate they take these older musical forms and do something a little different with them right. and so I um, hooked up with Noah said you should try out with this band I'm joining the Picadors Chris Lynch he's a great songwriter and he's he, lo he loves your playing you know he thinks that, that what you're doing could sound really cool in this more 70s singer-songwriter tradition. So I tried out and we had a lot of fun and 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 that was exactly like I felt like I'm here. This is what I want to do. I'm working with a phenomenal singer and songwriter. I get to play all of these styles that I've learned and bring this stuff together. It feels like it's it's respecting the past, but it's also doing something that no one else has done. And that's really exciting. So your education through college, musically, was pretty much on your own. Yep, just listening to records. Dan Neal became my guitar teacher for a couple of years, you know, and some of the lessons were more informal than others, just kind of jamming and stuff. But he was doing what I really wanted to do, which was this synthesis of country and blues and jazz. Right. He was just able to play all of these different bags. So uh, that was 
that really changed and shifted my abilities pretty big. So when did you have kids and how did that affect what you were trying to do with your music career? My son Daniel was was born at the time the Picadors were going, so 1990. Um, and it definitely impacted, I didn't want to be away from home and we were touring a lot. And then his mother got a scholarship to Princeton to work on a history PhD. And so we had to do kind of a long distance relationship. And I really wanted, I felt like I wanted to be a professional musician. I was still working other jobs to make ends meet. Yeah. and to support my family, but I really just wanted to do music. So that was my goal. Right. And, um, you know, having a son made my life just very different and limited in some ways, but also enriched, enriched it in, in other ways. And uh, my second child was born with uh, Victoria, the girl's mom in 1998. And then we had another kid in 2000. And um, I was learning how to record at home, you know, just sort of writing. I got my first Pro Tools rig and was writing stuff. And I tried to keep the girls busy, you know, like their mom would be working and I'd just be home with them. And so I'd write these songs and create loops and things that were kid friendly. And then I'd get them to sing on it and I'd keep them busy and engaged. And I could learn how to do this and sort of killing two birds with one stone, so to speak. Right. Um, where the bunny clogs came yeah and after a while it was like wow there's like seven songs this is like almost a record's worth of material and every time we'd bring our friends kids over the girls would be dancing and singing along and our friends were into it and I thought wow this is just sort of a nice transition the honey dogs had been touring a ton and that was really exhausting and I I was just looking for things that were that brought me joy rather than just Right. You know, felt like you got to do this. You got to tour. You got to keep putting records out. And right. so, Bunny Clogs was an opportunity to do something with my children that was musical, that was funny. That uh, my son was involved in it too, like his art and a lot of the the inside jokes that we had about animals and food and <laughs> made their way into these songs. So it just felt like a natural outcropping of family life. So did your kids start playing instruments around this time? My daughter, Ava, it took her a while. You know, Ava's now developing as a guitar player, but early on they were not as interested as just singing. And so they had piano, we had, we gave them piano lessons and, um, but they were just mostly into singing. So that's yeah. what they did with this particular group. Ava started playing guitar in high school. And so we got her into a, into one of the uh, music conservatories. Yeah. She went to St. Paul. Ava has got a band now called Sapphire and she's living with her boyfriend and recording some new stuff with him. He's really talented. He's in a band called Why Not? Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say that is one thing. Interestingly, my daughters are both really into academics in the same way I was in college too. Like they're really interested in ideas and talking about that stuff. Ava loves writing music. And we'll continue doing that. But her drive right now is just doing well in school, which, 
you know, there's a part of me, it's like, oh, hon, just pour yourself into music. I wish I would have done that. If you do it now, you're going to, you're going to get such a head start compared to the way I had to do it. But I, I haven't done that. I've just let her really um, follow her path. And, and as I say, interestingly, it's very similar to the way that I was doing it when I was in college. Sure. So let's talk about how your kids started taking piano lessons. Is that something they wanted to do on their own? Or was that something you guys as parents wanted for them? I, I think your mom just really felt like we had an upright piano in the house and the girls should learn how to play it and they like music. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't thinking I was going to turn them into exceptional musicians doing it. It was just something to sort of expand their brains and get them thinking about music. Right, right, right. Has there been times where you've been their teacher? Yeah, it's funny. Like technically, I will, Ava will will still sit with me and just say, can you show me how to finger pick this thing? Or can you show me the chords on this song? Either it's my right. song or some other song. Um, but when we were doing bunny clogs, the only thing I was really trying to teach them was how to be a performer. So make sure you're singing in the mic directly. Make right. sure you are, you know, just that that sort of stuff, like getting on and off of a stage and looking at people and things like that. Right. Less so, I think like the singing was more natural for them, their pitch and, and all that right. kind of stuff. I didn't have to spend a lot of time, but more so just kind of getting them to have confidence. So when did you start formally teaching music to people other than your kids? I mean, the first time I started teaching guitar, there was a music store. Oh my God, what was it called? Sunnison's Music over on Lake Street by Pizza Shack. And that's where I went to take lessons from Dan Neal. And after a couple of years, Dan's like, you should be teaching here. You should just teach, teach uh, a few lessons a week. And so I, I taught, I don't know, five lessons or something a week to students at Sunnison's um, while I was also working in social work yeah um and then i did social work and music kind of almost side by side for a number of years even you know the honey dogs at the height of our major label stuff i was still i'd take a few months off here and there but i i was doing a lot of case management and social work even at the height of the band oh wow. um, just because i you know three children and it's hard to make enough money just as a musician sure um and so I did that social work for a long time. And there came a point uh, around 2007 where I just thought, is there, a, is there a way for me to just do music related things? Like I want to continue to record and have different musical projects and, and everything, but I'd rather not work an unrelated job to music. Can I find something? And I approached uh, McNally Smith and, the uh, Institute of Production and Recording. And McNally wasn't hiring at the time, but um, IPR, Institute of Production and Recording was, and they hired me. And so from 2007 to 2014, seven years, I was teaching at IPR and then at McNally, teaching music career stuff and music production and songwriting and doing a lot of advocacy and counseling with students about career stuff. <clears throat> when I started working at, at IPR though, then I started doing the more formal teaching in classroom settings, you know, like right. curriculum on songwriting or 
on uh, careers in the in in the economic uh, what do you call it the, the sort of creative economy right and you had to create your own curriculum because these types of music schools or production schools were a new thing right uh, you know there's there are books the thing is i find especially with music business stuff it's just so day it gets dated so quickly <laughs> right. you, know, you couldn't use a book from 10 years ago to talk about there are elements of it that are always going to be the same but uh, yeah. you you have to i'd say at that point i really did start paying attention to a lot of professional things in the business i had not been interested in you know right. and so i got more interested in in social media platform usage and um you know revenue streams and things like that that i just would have had no interest in 10 years earlier yeah so what did you think of these kind of trade schools for music once you got in there and started teaching 20 years before i took that job i would have thought it was really lame like what are you telling me you're going to go to school to be a pop musician what a joke but there were some really exceptionally smart people teaching there and um, I just began to have a more, I would say, kind of liquid idea about the the creative economy and learning how to do stuff and, you know, different styles of music. And um, the idea of mentoring and teaching became really important to me in the process, you know. Yeah. I realized that there were a few people that were really influential and helpful to me. And but there's a lot of stuff that I didn't get guidance in that I wish I would have had, you know, like yeah. I wish I would have had somebody saying, dude, get in the fucking van now, tour, <laughs> tour, tour, tour. You got to do that, like hit the ground running for so long. Um, and nobody was, nobody was telling me that. I didn't know that when I was growing up. So, right. you know, it, it's, it was nice to be a part of that process for, for young people when I was teaching and I got to watch a lot of them make careers in the yeah. business. Yeah. Did you make any connections with any of the students there that you saw blossom and then later kept in touch with? Yeah. You know, social media is a funny thing. All of those students that I had, I get to watch them now yeah. living their lives and, you know, whether they're, they've become big country singers uh, or uh, guitar players for bands or they're running sound for big acts in right. different parts of the world on tour with big, with really big major label acts. Um, it's been nice to be a part of that. Right. There's a few kids I can think of, like I taught that rock music camp at McPhail. And one of those kids that I had, who was very talented at the time as like an 11 year old kid, has now become a really big producer. He's doing like a lot of hippocampus stuff and he's just off the charts, talented, right. you know? And so it's nice to think like I played some minute role in kind of getting him going and thinking about that stuff. Right, right. So what do you think of the situation a lot of schools find themselves in trying to offer music programs to kids, expose them to music, you oftentimes end up with a mixed bag of students that have never touched an instrument or had any lessons and kids that have done it for quite a long time. It can become really difficult to teach beginners and advanced kids all in the same class. That's a really, uh, a really great and kind of essential question. And I, I think it is important to give everybody 
an opportunity to explore those sorts of things. Right. So I think just being conscientious, sometimes it's harder to teach a really mixed group of talent kids because they're those kids that are sort of like running and they've got everything under control, but you want to make sure that kids don't get left behind. So um, I think it's important to find, you know, to find space for those kids that might not have as much of an inclination or ability to feel a part of it and to gain something from it. Right. Yeah, I feel like we have a situation where we have kids that learn a lot of music on their own in their bedroom, watching YouTube videos or whatever, which is great. And then we have institutions like our music school, House of Music, and we have kids form bands and we offer classes like that. But I don't see kids forming bands on their own quite as much as I thought these kinds of institutions would foster. I really thought these kind of schools would create more bands. I hadn't thought about that, really. Um, it's an interesting idea. If, if what you're saying is true, that kids are less, uh, you know, because for whatever reason, if they're less likely to form these bonds together, um, it, that's sad to me. You know, yeah. I think my daughter finding friends that played music. I mean, I think there are always going to be kids that that make those connections. Yeah. Um, but I also think that technologically what has happened is people have been able to create music by themselves in a way that historically has never been possible. Right. And the relationship you can have with information now is, uh, is overwhelming, but also incredibly accessible. So you can become, you can learn all of those crazy Eddie Van Halen you know, riffs from a person who's spent hours sort of doing it themselves. I look at my nephew, Isaac, who um, I would say largely the internet has made him the player who he is. I mean, he's got some, clearly some genetic something, right? Right. And, and the nurturance of a, a father who's a very talented musician, but you know, the, the way that I, Isaac is able to dial in to get such specific knowledge that would have taken me years to find before. What do you think of these couple of scenarios? We have a lot of parents who want to expose their kids to music lessons, and they end up basically forcing them to play an instrument because they think it's important. Then we have other parents who have their kids take music. The kid loves it, has a lot of talent, but they don't find it to be all that important and they don't really push them and just want them to have fun, which is fine. I've seen both sides of this. Kids who really didn't want to play an instrument end up loving it. And kids who beg their parents to play an instrument ended up thinking, oh, this is too hard. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. What's your advice to parents, how they navigate their kids taking lessons for the first time? That's a whole lot of really great questions all wrapped up into one there. Yeah. Um, you know, I've sort of told you like my, what I, my experience was as a kid. And um, I often wish my parents would have suggested uh, the importance of discipline uh, as far as being whatever you're going to be, 
You know, like if right. you're going to be a good rock guitarist, there's going to be these 10,000 hours you're going to need to log in and you need right. to do things that are really not really exciting in order to expand your, uh, your world. So I think this idea of teaching kids the whole, you know, the importance of being excited about something, but also the sort of minutia building up to that are really an important part of the big picture. And that was something that was not made clear to me. And that's something that's I, that I've kind of had to pick up over the years. So I think that's important for parents to listen to kids, listen to what they're interested in, um, but to also try to emphasize the importance of doing things that get us out of our comfort zone a lot of times. Right. Right. I mean, and that it's interesting because that, that's the sort of double-edged sword with my parents that they didn't have these really big expectations about what I should, you know, how good I should be. And so my interest was really self-generated and, and I was excited by the music itself. And I think that propelled me through it. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I've worked really hard not to try to enforce my vision of what I think my kids should do based on what I've done or right. what I want to do. Right. You know, I want it to fit their psyches more, you know, right. I, my son Daniel was becoming a really good rapper, but I knew that he was more interested in drawing. So, you know, even though that kind of excited me, he was a great visual artist and, right. And so I just kind of encourage that. I think that's the important thing is, you know, if you love your children, you are always trying to figure out what's best for them. Right. Right. The happiest and, and um, you know, put them in their journey in a way that'll prepare them for life. I also think like you can do more than one thing in your life, you know, yeah. and, and, it, and Daniel was into boxing and he was into, into, um, hip hop stuff and he was into, into drawing. And so I kind of just marveled at his many talents. Right. And I knew at some point something would sort of fit more than others. Right. He ended up wanting to go into the Marines for a while, which was one of the only things he's ever done or wanted to do that I just was very much not down with. Yeah. Uh, during the Iraq war, I just like, dude, I do, I can't get behind this. I love you. Right. And if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. But um, I'd rather that you didn't. Right. As far as your girls, what do you see them doing next? Well, uh, they, they love visual art stuff. So when we get together, we usually, some part of our hang, whether we're cooking or watching something, we'll be doing some kind of art thing. Right. Or visual arts thing. So that's a really important part of who they are. And um, that makes me happy, you know, that they like to create. Yeah, Eva, the youngest, uh, the one who's the songwriter, she is, every song she writes, in my opinion, is better than the last one. So right. she's really developmentally, I think she just needs like a confidence in that what she's doing is really good. And right. it is. Um, because I think she would have a good shot at doing something, you know? Right. That is. But I, you know, I just, you marvel, you look at your children in the world and it's hard not to be thrilled by everything that they do, right? Sure. Do you find yourself looking at her and, and wanting to step in and guide things, but knowing that 
that might that she's got to do this on her own. She has to discover these things. And, and... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, hun, you really need to get an acoustic guitar. You just, you got to get a good acoustic guitar. You got to sink the money and well, I don't have the money. Well, you also need a really good tube amp. You know, right. there's things where I feel like, and I'll buy this for you. I'll get you this guitar. Right. Um, you know, it's just figuring out when, when you give advice and when do you sort of just let them have their space. Right. Right. I'm still learning. Yeah. <laughs> and they're quick to tell you and your dad, you're dadding me too much. <laughs> That's great. So what's the future like for you as far as teaching goes? The last teaching experience that was really great for me was going into the prisons and teaching songwriting. Oh, wow. And so as part of the Minnesota Prison Writers Workshop, uh, I worked with a prison last not last fall, but the fall before for six months. And it was transformative for me. Wow. Being around these guys um, from really different backgrounds and kind of sociocultural experiences, but being uh, in a position to help people incarcerated be able to create something. Right. Self-reflective is really powerful so you went in and did a class with them yeah wow how often six month class every oh, right. monday for six months yeah it was it was it was pretty remarkable so i'm hoping to do that again i think the pandemic shut it down shut right it away great uh, and so i'd like to do that again there's also talk about me doing teaching at, uh, at a, mu a music program for a women's prison as well so I'm keeping my ears open for those sorts of things. Um, I, I love teaching. I love talking because what it does is it forces you to think about what you do. Right. And explain it to other people. And thereby, I think, improving, sculpting what you do. Right. If you're conscientious about it, you know, if you really want to teach people how to get better at something, it requires you to really dig in with your own skills. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's that's a pretty transformative experience on both sides, you know. Yeah, you know, I'm, I think about myself as somebody who will spend their entire life making music, one way or another. You know, it's not right. like something where I'm like, well, not making as much money anymore. I better just quit doing this. Right. I'm always going to write music and uh, try to figure out ways to perform music for people. I can't imagine a time barring you know physical limitations that i'm going to want to quit doing that right right well, what's next musically what do you have in this crazy I, world, man? The, this pandemic has been an opportunity to write and record a lot and to learn how to do a lot of home recording so yeah i've been excited about the turn 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 project i have a solo record and a honey dogs record both of which are about three quarters done but honestly the turn 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 energy has been really fun for me yeah and to have other people that really like singing and um that just sort of want to drive the bus sometimes sure. so i've written about 15 songs um most of which will end up on the next turn 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 record so just been writing and recording a lot well cool well thank you so much for doing this yeah thank thanks for having time. me good luck with the project and good luck finding a, a new bass player <laughs> thanks a lot man Yes, my band needs a new bass player. 
Hey, a big thanks to Adam Levy for being our first guest on the House of Music's podcast called The Bridge. My name's Brad McLemore. We'll see you next time.